All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are in Lesson 17, Revelation 17. You know, if you thought yesterday in the seven bowls of wrath or, you know, in the last couple of days talking about the seals or the trumpets, this is the one that's going to make your head spin as well. Uh, you know, here's the deal, Kevin, if you go to our timeline, think about this. On our text, you guys, here you have seven years of tribulation, okay? And in that, you're going to see six seals. The seventh seal is broken, which launches the seven trumpets. After the seven trumpets, what you have is, is the seven bowls of wrath. These are God's wrath. This is God's wrath pouring it out on the Antichrist, pouring it on all the inhabitants of the earth. And in the, in the middle of all of this, he still wants them to repent and turn to him, right? That's what you hear. And twice it says they blaspheme in the name of God and they refuse to repent and turn to him. So now you have a little, almost a scene change, kind of. Okay, so you have all of the seven bowls. The angels are dumping out these wraths. I mean, think about this, you guys. The heat, the boils, the blood, uh, the, 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 oh, how about this one? The Euphrates River being dried up, right? So now all of these nations could come so that you could experience a battle. Now, now the battle of Armageddon has not happened yet. Christ, okay, has not come back yet. It's almost like you have another vision. You have another little pause, kind of, right? In the middle of all of this. And it says, then one of the seven angels, I'm in Revelation 17, one, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls. Okay. So we know, Rich, you know, we talked about this Re- revelation, not all of it is chronological. Okay. So you're kind of like this sometimes, sometimes you're like this revelation 17 seems like a natural fit from revelation 16, because it says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, he came and he spoke with John. He had a conversation. That would be an interesting conversation, wouldn't it? Right. I mean, he, they just dumped one of the rafts and Hey, John, let me talk for a little bit. And he says, John, now come on, come on. I'm going to show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who sits on many waters. Now, Rich, when you read this, what bothers you already about this verse? I thought the waters had dried up previously in 16. You thought that the waters had dried up previously. So just so you have an image, sometimes in the text, the waters could imply like overseeing the nations. That's usually what the language could be referencing. But it does say on many waters. And so just kind of as a backdrop. Now, before we really jump in, I kind of want you to have a bigger picture here. Revelation 17, okay, is going to be about a system, okay? It's going to be about the the harlot system, the Babylonian system, okay, specifically with the religious perspective of it. What's the religious perspective of, right, the Antichrist and and really in Satan? Revelation 18 is going to be more about the system economically and politically, Okay, so I want to make that distinction. In 17, we're going to talk more about the religious side. 18, we're going to talk about, you know, the economic and political side. And then 19, Jesus is going to come and clean all of that up. (laughs) It's awesome. It's an incredible picture. Here's also what I want you to understand. And I love this image. I think this is a really good image here. Okay, uh, what you have is is you're always going to have a Babylon versus God. (laughs) A Babylonians versus the city of God. Does that make sense? You're going to have that in every era. You're going to have that in the world powers that we saw that Daniel talked about. And now you see it at the end. I just want you to have this understanding. There always is this tension of the system and the presence of God. Now, this is going to be the religious system. And so what he says is this angel is going to, hey, John, come here. I'm going to show you about this prostitute, this system that sits on top of the many waters. That's in charge of the nations. I mean, that's kind of the image that you have. Then it says in verse two, the kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her. Okay, so the nations participated in the system. 
Okay, And those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. I mean, in some regards, you have to think of the Israelites. Remember this, Kevin? When they give into the false worship, they give into the false idols, and then they give into the, the foreign nations, uh, religious systems, right? And so it says that they became drunk with those things. This is that image. The kings of the earth are participating. Now, fornication doesn't actually reference in this context necessarily of sexual sin, but to idolatry. Okay, there's an image of idolatry. And here's the crazy part is all of these world rulers are going to participate with uh, the Antichrist, going to participate with Satan's uh, false religion. That's what you see here is that all of the kings of the earth are participating. But Kevin, here's what's crazy. The Euphrates have been dried up and these kings are going to be coming. Kevin, it's one of the seven angels. So you don't know where in the sequence the angels coming. Valid point. So it says in verse three, this is the imagery that we have. So he, meaning the angel, carried me away in the spirit to a desert. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Now, the scarlet beast is usually in reference to the Antichrist. So here you have the system that's in charge of the Antichrist. That makes sense. That was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The Holy Spirit literally takes John from an island to a desert. I'd rather be on the island. It says the woman was dressed in purple and in scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She had a, a gold cup in her hand, filled with everything vile and with the impurities of her prostitution. Now, just so you know, what I've already experienced in the past of Revelation, whenever there's a cup... <laughs> It always ends up coming back on them. You know, it's like they might be drinking their cup of something, but eventually, Kevin, what do they end up drinking? They end up drinking God's wrath. So here you have the harlot participating in a gold cup. She thinks she's in control, filled with everything vile and with the impurities of her prostitution. Again, does this imply like sexual immorality? Not necessarily. I'm only saying that because she is engaging herself with the nations. She's engaging herself with the kings and the leaders of the world. And in fact, uh, she even becomes very, very wealthy in the process. The religious harlot, I think this is interesting. Uh, her job is to what? To lure, like if you view yourself as a prostitute, right? The prostitute is one that's supposed to be enticing to bring somebody towards them. Right. If you, you know, we've walked the streets in many cities where, where, you know, prostitutes will interact with you because what do they want? They want something that you have. They want you to be drawn to them. It's Satan literally sitting around the door. Right. Tempting, crouching around, waiting for you to fall into temptation. Crazy enough. It's a it's a I like what Nelson's commentary said. It's an opposite picture of what was originally designed in the garden. You have a pure bride. They're in a lovely garden. And then you jump to Revelation 17 and you have an impure harlot and they're in the desert. They're in the wilderness. Like an opposite picture. That, you know what I mean? It's, this is not what God originally designed. And so here you have, I mean, does this look anything like the garden? <laughs> not at all. It's a crazy picture, by the way, Tom. And on her forehead, if you look really, really closely up here... <laughs> Uh, this is what it says. There's a cryptic name, okay, that was written on her forehead. Babylon the Great. That's how we know who this woman is. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the vile things of 
the earth. Now, here's just a little bit of a backdrop. According to uh, John MacArthur, it was customary for Roman prostitutes to wear a headband and they'd actually put their name on it so that all of their wretchedness, everybody could see. So in that context of what they're seeing, like this is actually not, uh, uh, they would get this picture. They would get this imagery. In fact, the harlot's forehead is emblazoned with a threefold title descriptive of the world's final false religious system. I do think it's interesting uh, of how you begin to see all of this unfold. And in fact, Kevin, if we would, let's keep going to verse six. He says, OK, then I saw uh, let me let me go back to this real quick. I want to do say this. The golden cup. I, I got to keep going back to this golden cup. You, you know, it's a picture, right, of, of her wealth. It's of her process. Uh, but I do want to say as a prostitute might first get her first victim to drink. The harlot system is constantly deceiving the nations into spiritual fornication. That's the whole goal. This is the whole objective. That's the picture that you have. And so her view as Babylon the Great, okay? Now, I, I want to say this. This Babylon the Great is probably distinctive, okay? I think this is a fair statement, according to John MacArthur, from the historical geographical city of Babylon at that time. I think this is a bigger picture than just a specific city that, that we're talking about. Does that make sense? And so the details of John's vision can't be applied to that historical city. That's not what we're talking about. Again, it's going back to a system in this process. And then here's the crazy thing is, is that this is truly the mother of all harlots. Okay, so I think this is important to understand. The mother of prostitutes, over the years of of history, you have Babylon's. You have representations of Babylon's, but what we're going to experience at the end is the mother of all of them. Okay, and I, I think, and here's what's interesting: in Genesis 11, there's the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, the whole point was what to make themselves equal to God, right? To become God. That was the whole point. From Babel, you guys came Babylon. It's kind of an interesting picture from Genesis 11 to Revelation 14. Eight. So what you see is, is that you have this, everything stems from the original source. That makes sense? And I think it's an interesting picture uh, of what this means. Babel actually means the gate of God. Tower of Babel is an attempt to literally defy God. And then what does God do? He takes it from the Babel, meaning the gate of God, to Babel, uh, meaning confusion. So there's this drastic switch. And then here's what's crazy is over the course of time, Babylon fell to the Medo-Persians. Babylon's influence, then it's just, it's a continued domino effect. What we see at the end is the mother of all of these cities, all of these powerful uh, systems. Sounds like a lot, but you have to understand this is the end of the end of this system. So when you get into verse six, then I saw that that woman was drunk on the blood of the saints. And on the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. So, Kevin, it sounds like here you have the system in the Antichrist is literally drinking uh, of success because they've killed those that have followed Christ. And when I saw her, Scripture says, I was utterly astounded. Now, here's where I, I, I just have to say a proposal. I think this is crazy. I have no way of proving this. These are kind of fun theories just to throw out there. Okay, Tom Constable and MacArthur, okay, I'll run with MacArthur's theory first, would say when it says the the blood of the saints, some say that's specifically the Old Testament believers. 
And then some say the blood of the witnesses of Jesus would be the New Testament believers. You know, you think about this language of saints from the Old Testament. There is an interesting thought behind that. And then the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. I can't prove that. But I do think it's interesting that the system, right, has taken down the Israelites at times and obviously has taken down followers of Christ. Either way, the system is enjoying the death of God's people. That makes sense. I mean, I don't know if I agree with it, but I do think it's an interesting perspective. Um, now, an un- uh, <laughs> uh, let me just say this. The harlot is clearly because she's holding the cup is a murder. The system functions with murder. I do think you have to understand something, you guys. False religion constantly is killing and persecuting what? Other uh, believers, Christians. Just so you know, today we have more persecution today than we ever have in history. Did you know that? That's crazy to me. You think of it back then, don't you? It's only going to escalate. Anybody that's against Christ ultimately is bringing the wrath uh, of their system onto them. But we know ultimately God's going to take take care of all this, but it is a pretty powerful picture. Then it says in verse seven, then the angel uh, said to me, why are you astonished? I will tell you the secret meaning of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the 10 horns that carries her. So that's where the rest of this image comes in. Seven heads, 10 horns come in, right? That's just an interesting Kev, uh, Tom, how long did it take you to draw that picture? I've been working on that one for a week. <laughs> he said, I'm going to tell you the secret meaning. Okay. The secret meaning is, is, <laughs> is that we already know, first of all, that Babylon, okay, we already know that Babylon is a false system of religion, right? We're clear about that. Uh, so what's the secret meaning? Read on. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> I just do think that's interesting. And it says in verse eight. Now, this is where a verse you kind of have to slow down. Remember how I said Revelation 17, you got to dig into the meat because you're kind of like, whoa, the beast. The beast is Kevin, the Antichrist, the woman, the system sits on the Antichrist. So you have to understand this. This system is being poured in and through and on the Antichrist. The Antichrist is living out the system, the false system, the harlot, the prostitute that's against Christ. Remember, they're constantly blaspheming, blaspheming God it says the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up from the abyss and go to destruction. OK, hang on here. Let's keep going and then I'll come back to this. Those who live on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast that was and is not and will be present again. Verse eight talks about somewhere in here. Okay, can you go to our timeline? Somewhere in here, I'm tired of that picture anyway, by the way. Somewhere in here, okay, the Antichrist, Kevin, is according to this text that was and is not and will be present again, will be, quote unquote, uh, have a false resurrection. The Antichrist, according to this text, 17.8, okay, somewhere in here, okay, the Great Tribulation, right? At the end of the Great Tribulation, So it has to be at the very, very end, right? Somewhere in here, he's going to die and then come back to life. That's what it's going to look like. And because of that, it says all of those who don't have their names written in the book of life, those that have faith in Jesus Christ, 
Those that don't have faith in Christ, when they see the Antichrist, all of a sudden, quote unquote, come back to life, they're going to be astonished. Revelation 17, 8 says, this is what's going to take place. Uh, you know, well, I don't even know if we say at the end, it's going to be sometime in the Great Tribulation. I don't, it probably actually is closer to the middle now that I think about this, because they're going to actually have to capture attention for people to start following him. That makes sense? Not closer to the end, but probably more towards the middle. And so here you have this beast, okay, uh, is literally going to, uh, after coming back to life, is literally going to implement his system. Kevin, this is kind of a wild one, isn't it? Especially that language, the was, is not, will be present again. It's just Christ language. It's Christ language, but it's, it's not. It's not. But isn't that the whole thing of Satan? To mask himself as light? To mask himself as the Messiah? Now think about this. In Revelation 13, uh, 3 and 4 for me. Revelation 13, 3 and 4. Uh, one of his heads appeared to be fatally wounded. This is describing the Antichrist. But his fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. Verse 4. They worshiped the dragon, Satan, because he gave authority to the beast, Antichrist. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast who is able to wage war against him? Well, according to verse 3, they're worshiping Satan and Antichrist because his fatal wound uh, was healed. And then if you go, Kevin, to Revelation 13, verse 12, 13 and 14. He exercises all of the authority of the first beast on his first behalf, on his behalf, and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. So here you have the false prophet now encouraging people, what? To worship in this religious system, the Antichrist, because the fatal wound was healed. Verse 13, it just continues on. And so the Antichrist and then the false prophet, they perform great uh, signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And then he deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that he is permitted to perform on behalf of the beast. So the false prophet is telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast of the Antichrist who had the sword wound and yet lived. Multiple times you have this language of this beast, also known as the Antichrist. He had a sword wound. Okay, He had a fatal wound and quote unquote was healed. So because of this, now when we're back, Kevin, if you'll go back to Revelation 17, verse 8, when it says everybody's going to be astonished that don't know the, doesn't know the Lord. Why? Because they saw the beast that was and is not and dead, and then he came back to life. Okay? This is where it gets kind of interesting. But remember, our first image of Revelation 17 started about a woman sitting on top of the beast because there's a system that's implemented through the Antichrist, through Satan. It says in verse 9, Here is the mind with wisdom. Okay? Uh, the seven heads are seven mountains. So can you go back to this creepy picture? Okay. So here you have the system, right? Of this lady and it says the seven heads are seven mountains. The woman is seated on the seven mountains. Keep going, Kevin, in verse 10. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he'll remain for a little while. Okay. Let me begin to unpack this in verse 9, okay? There's a lot of different theories about these seven mountains, okay? The Greek word actually talks about hills, okay? Seven hills. Some people have this description that it's Rome, 
Rome was built on seven hills. We've heard this. In fact, when we did ministry in Seattle, Rich, this is one of the first things they said to us is, hey, did you know Seattle's built on seven hills? Just like Rome, just like Jerusalem. Like there's this imagery of seven hills, specifically Rome. Why? Because possibly it's along the Tiber River. Uh, at the same time, it could be symbolizing seven kingdoms and their kings. So I'm just, again, presenting to you the thought process about who this could be. I will tell you this in verse 10, it says they are also seven kings. So it could be Rome, seven hills. OK, it could be, Kevin, just seven uh, kingdoms. Right. And then they have these seven kings. Now, the scripture says of these seven, five of them have fallen. One of them is not yet come. The other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain for a little while. So let me give you an example, okay, of these seven kings. Just something to process through. Again, uh, you could take it multiple ways. Okay, I'm just trying to give you a picture. Some would say Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia. Now remember, we've talked about this, how... Remember at the very beginning of Revelation 17, we talked about it being a system and how these systems move from power to power to power to power, right? Egypt could have been that power. Assyria could have been that power. Babylon could have been that power. Medo-Persia could have been that power. You know where we're going. Then it goes to Greece, right? And then it goes to Rome, right? So interesting enough, what it says is that's one, two, three, four, five, six. And then it says the other that has not yet come then we could, it could be, you guys, that of the Antichrist would be the last system on the seventh. So here you have these images of these seven kings, but he's trying to build the case that this is the system that's not of the Lord. And then he says in verse 11, the beast that was and is not is himself the eighth. So what's interesting is, is really the seventh, you guys, and the eighth are the same person. Why? Because he quote unquote died. Does that make sense? And then he came back. That's the image that you have. Yet is of the seventh and goes to destruction. So anyway, the Antichrist is said to be both a seventh and eighth kingdoms simply because of his demise and his resurrection. Okay, that's that's the language that you see that you see here. This is kind of this is exhausting in this mentality, is it not? But I do think it really paints an incredible picture about our history of all mankind. He says in verse 12, the 10 horns you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom. Okay, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. So these 10 horns, Kevin, okay, are going to be under the Antichrist. Okay, he will be in charge of the 10 horns because they don't have a kingdom yet and they don't have, they, but they're going to receive authority from, right, from the beast for just a period of time. I think this is kind of an interesting picture. They don't have a kingdom. Now, this one hour could be, if you go back to our timeline, you could add a new language. Possibly, if the Antichrist, okay, comes back to life, right? False resurrection in the middle of the tribulation that catches everybody's attention, right? That's That could be what happens, right? In all of this, the one hour we could put down here is three and a half years. So the 10 horns could be given authority for the last great tribulation. Think about this, you guys. If Antichrist is coming back to life, he's going to have an authority for a season, right? People are always saying, who are the 10 nations? What are the 10 kingdoms? That's what people are looking at. That's where this comes from, you guys. Verse 12, 
Revelation 17, 12 says, 10 nations are going to be given authority, 10 kings under the Antichrist. More than likely, it's coming because he has come back to life and then just for a season, they have authority. That one hour could, could be 1,260 days. It could be three and a half years. It could be half of the seven years. We don't know who they are, but people are always looking. Like, is there 10 nations that are unified, right? I mean, that, this is why there's this language out there, which I don't have any problem looking for because that means you're being watchmen, okay? I'll just say, tell you, though, they have one purpose. These have one purpose in verse 13, and they give their power and authority to the beast. In other words, everything is recognized through them, through the Antichrist. And then here's what happens. These will, in verse 14, these 10 will make war against who, Kevin? The Lamb, the Lamb of Christ. But the Lamb, Jesus will conquer them, them meaning the ten nations, them meaning the Antichrist, because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. I love that language. I, I know sometimes we use that, that language often, Lord of lords and king of kings, but it really makes sense because he's going to trump the other ten kings. He's going to be in charge of these other ten kings that are going to attempt to make war. And those with him, Jesus, the Lamb, are called and chosen and faithful. Basically, you guys, verse 14 says, these will make war against the lamb. Do you remember the battle of Armageddon? This is what we're talking about in verse 14. Remember how the river Euphrates has been dried up? The kings are coming over. Remember the 10 kings now all of a sudden that are under authority? Somewhere in here, they're going to make war against Jesus. And this is going to be, to go to our timeline, yes, this is what you're going to see here. This is where we don't even have it listed really here, do we? Uh, the battle of Armageddon. Do we not have it listed on here? It's in here. <laughs> And that's what's going to happen. It's kind of an interesting picture. It's a powerful picture. And then it says in verse, uh, I think we have time. Let's go there. Uh, verse 15, he also said to me, the waters you saw, Rich, there's no waters. The waters you saw where the prostitute was sealed are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. So that's your language that you have. So the waters is 15. The waters in describing the harlot that's over the system, she says, it says that she's in charge of what? The peoples, the multitudes, the nations, and the languages. So there is consistency here. In other words, you know, you've heard of this. And this is, sounds creepy, but this is where you get it from. Verse 15 talks about the one world religious system. This is it. Where the prostitute was seated in charge and the peoples and the multitudes, nations, and languages fall under one camp. Revelation 17, 15. It says, the ten horns you saw on the beast will hate the prostitutes. So now this is where it gets interesting, <clears throat> Kevin. Eventually, the ten horns, the countries, and the Antichrist, they're going to hate all of the religious system. They will actually make her desolate and naked, devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. In some way, okay, in some way, they're going to turn against and seize all of the power they wanted all for themselves. They don't want anything else. I mean, that's what it says. They literally turn against the system, Right? They make her desolate, the naked, devour her flesh, burn her up. They don't want anything to do with it. For God had put it in their, into their hearts, I'm in verse 17, to carry out his plan. God's plan is now coming through the ten horns. You create ten nations. They're going to carry out God's purpose and to give their kingdom to the beast until God's words are accomplished. They're carrying out God's will, Kevin. This is crazy. They're going to give their kingdom to the Antichrist. It says in verse 18, and the woman you saw is the great city that has an empire over the kings of the earth. In other words, this is an interesting picture and we got to quit. Satan's own kingdom 
it's almost like they divide it against itself. Right? That's the picture. It talks about that in Mark, the division. Like you can't, Kevin, it, it will fall. How does that go? Mark 3, 23 through 26, it talks about this. You will see a division within their own camp. How can Satan drive out Satan? Mark 3, 23. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Verse 26. And if Satan rebels against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is finished. You're going to begin to see that being fleshed out in 18 and 19. All right, guys. Have a great day. We'll continue the study of Revelation 18 tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks.